Hey, what is up, guys? This is Violet, and you're listening to the Millennials Bible Podcast. Episode 3, You're a Wizard, Harry. Welcome to the Millennials Bible Podcast. This episode is all about Harry Potter, the books, the movies, the man, the myth, the legend, and everything in between. It is just my thoughts and my ramblings once again, so I hope you're ready for another Violet Audio Diary. And we're going to start with a word from our sponsors. Okay, just kidding. I don't have any sponsors. This is like literally the third episode, and I think it might just be um, like my boyfriend and one of my other close friends that have listened to this. But uh, if you're in uh, an online checkout situation and you put the Millennials Bible down in the promo box and it does give you a discount, fucking tell me about it. That would be exciting. I will tell everyone else about it. But chances are that will not work and that will not save you money. So you lucky ducks get some lovely unsponsored podcasting today. Uh, so yeah, we're gonna, I'm gonna kind of start with a little bit of an intro on uh, like my Harry Potter identity. Like everyone, I've been listening to some Harry Potter podcast or some, what do you call them? Harry podcasts? I don't know. I've been listening to some lately and it's so addicting. I have been in this weird weird phase for like nine months of listening to Harry Potter audiobooks on my commute to and from work and basically any other time I'm like traveling or in the car or whatever. Um, And when I say nine months, I mean last year in I think December, I got the audiobooks on Audible and I literally just like listened to them one through seven, books one through seven over and over again. And I think it's been like almost... 10 times I've heard them all through because there was a while there I was traveling a lot for work and so on all my flights I would just listen to Harry Potter I'd listen to it in the airports when I was waiting like I I don't know it was like a weird obsession I'm still like trying to not listen to it which sounds sounds like an addiction this is terrible welcome to Violet's Addiction Harry Potter audiobooks thanks Jim Dale you ruined my life I'm just kidding. Jim Dale's the narrator and he's amazing and it really like brought the books to life for me in a way that I didn't get when I was reading them when I was younger. Um, But yeah, I've been like in this whole weird phase of listening to them over and over again because I didn't realize how much detail were in the books until I was listening to them, an audiobook. And yeah, so since then I was like, Violet, you cannot listen to Harry Potter another time. Like this is getting ridiculous. You're becoming crazy. Like Reed doesn't need to have to sit in the car with you and listen to Harry Potter again. So I made a switch to podcasts and listen to Harry Potter podcasts where they get to talk about it and I don't feel quite as crazy. Um, So there's a few that I really like. I'll say them on here. I don't know if they ever will listen to my podcast, but maybe they will and hopefully they'll feel special. Um, But a few that I like, if you guys are interested, Swish and Flick is really uh, a great one. Mugglecast, Pottercast, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is really awesome. A lot of like cool conversation there. And then Elohimora. Alohomora, I'm like less enchanted with. I feel like these super fans are like super picky about stuff and I don't know, it's like a little aggressive sometimes. Uh, you just have to listen to it to see what I mean. But anyways, I've been listening to those. They're really great. It would be awesome to be on one of their podcasts someday because I just like every time I hear them like when they're talking and I'm listening in the car, I just start like talking like as if they're there and they just keep talking too. So it's really awkward. I'm glad I drive alone a lot. But I'll just start like talking like, no, it's this, this, this is why. Like, I wish I could just like, 
oh, like send you a mental message of like, this is why this happened. Cause they'll like bring up stuff. And I feel like I have the perfect answer. Cause I'm a freak like that. But so I'll start, they kind of do fun stuff where they always talk about like what house they're in and like their favorite book and favorite movie and favorite character thing. So I think that's like an excellent way to start out a Harry Potter podcast episode. Um, so me, the lovely Violet, I don't know if you could have guessed by now, but I am in fact a Slytherin, like hardcore Slytherin. Uh, my old roommate Haley will certainly attest to this because she knows that I'm a Slytherin and she's the one who like helped me figure out my true self as a Slytherin. But yeah, no, I definitely am. So uh, fuck all you losers in the other houses. We're the best. Um, my favorite book is Goblet of Fire, actually. I think it's because I read the books when I was younger. I don't, I think like I read some of the books and then, or like I read them all the way through, but I wasn't super into them. I think when they got dark, I wasn't like quite ready for it. And I was at the age, or I am at the age as a millennial, where, like, we all grew up with Harry Potter, which is kind of crazy. Like, I was 11 when I was going to see the first movie come out. And so, like, in that movie, Harry's 11. So I think I always identified with the movies more than the books in that sense. Because even though I did remember, like, going to the, like, book release nights and those kinds of things, it was more my sister who was that age where, like, they were very into the books and the movies were, like, a compliment to that, but, like, not even close to what the books were to them. Whereas, like, I was 11 and I saw the first book. Like, Harry was 11 in that, I mean, saw the first movie. And Harry was 11 in that movie. And then I was 12 when I saw the second one. And that's Harry's second year at school. And I really kind of like how they came out each summer after that because it lined up with my age. And then, like, when the final, like, part two of the seventh book and then that movie came out, um, I was 18. So, yeah, like, or was I 17? I think I was 18. I don't know. Whatever happened there, like, it all just kind of lined up pretty well. And I think I always related more with the movies. And I didn't really, like, watch them a ton. I didn't, like, own them all or anything. Um, I wasn't, like, into them. And then for some reason in college, my roommate had, like, all the discs. And I just, like, started watching them when I'd be hungover or something. And it just became something to do until I... Uh, I went to Harry Potter World, or not Harry Potter World, wow, that was a huge brain fart. I don't like Florida that much to go to Harry Potter World. I went to London on a spring break trip with a good friend of mine and her sister, and I'm so grateful that my friend, like, totally wanted us to go to the studio tour in London because I don't know if I would have chosen that because I wasn't that into Harry Potter at the time, but she was like, no, we have to go, it's so awesome. And I am forever grateful for that. So shout out to Madeline for pushing me to do that. Or I say pushing. It was like, let's go do this. And I said yes. But it was a really awesome experience because it, it's just like the studio tour in London is crazy. It's like these full sets. Um, it's just like kind of brings the whole movie magic to life. And it totally inspired this new, um, I guess, kind of like interest of mine back into Harry Potter. So I think like one Black Friday on iTunes, they were selling the whole thing for super cheap. So I bought all the movies on iTunes. And since then, like I watched, I watched them like all the time. I'm like constantly watching them. It's like another one of my comfort things when we were talking about streaming, like the Harry Potter movies are a comfort source. And I think they are for a lot of people. Um, so then we go back to like present day, like I said, uh, nine months ago or so, or basically like December of last year, I started listening to the audiobooks. And like you start out with Chamber, I mean, not with Chamber, I am a fan, I swear. You start out with the, the, um, the Stone movie, 
Philosopher's Stone. <laughs> oh my god, this is, I'm butchering this so hardcore. But yeah, you start out with, with the first book. And it's definitely, you know, like basic. It, it's more of a children's book. It's not as dark. It's not as, um, like, complex. But at the same time, the book makes it a lot more, um, like, a lot deeper. Like, you pick up on things as the narrator and, like, as the reader, as you're reading it, as opposed to the movies, which is just, like, more of a kid's movie with a little bit of darkness to it. But in the kids, in the books... I keep saying books like as if I've read them all recently. I mean, audiobooks. It's the same thing, essentially, right? So in the books, there's just so much more detail. And even I, I kind of feel like the narration is a little bit from Harry's perspective in a way, because in the beginning, it's a little bit more simplified, but you're still like noticing some dark stuff. But it's not like it's like Harry, it's kind of on his radar, but he's more preoccupied with being a kid and like enjoying this whole new world he's discovering than he is with noticing these odd quirks and like dark magic hints and tunes that are happening. But it just gets more and more dark and complex. And it added a whole new level to the Harry Potter story that I kind of knew in the back of my head from when I first read the books when I was younger, but hadn't remembered. And so it was like, I don't know, it was like reading them all over again. It was crazy. It was so awesome. So anyways, long story short, my favorite book is The Goblet of Fire. <laughs> that was a like eight minute roundabout way to get there. But The Goblet of Fire is one of those movies that I really didn't like that much. I hated the haircuts. I was just kind of like not as into it. But then when I read the book or like listened to the audiobook again, I was so intrigued because the plot is so much more like developed in the book and there's so many more like this is why this happened and so many little things that are explained and I mean the movie does a really good job of it from like what they have given to them but the book just really I mean it it totally lays it out in a new world for me and yeah it's just great it's fabulous so favorite book Goblet of Fire favorite movie um I don't know I want to say like the Deathly Hallows movie or like the seventh 7.1, 7.2, whatever you call them. Just because, like, I don't know. It, it, I just feel like it's done really well. And I, I'm i really glad they split it up into two. And I think they, they did a really good job with how much they had to squeeze in there. And I think the, the seventh book is really good. But at the same time, there was a lot of... I don't know, they just had to explain so much. Like, Dumbledore and Harry had to explain so much. Like, there's times where I go back and I still have to re-listen to it to understand what Dumbledore was talking about. Like, when he talks about Harry's wand, um, like, like this is after, of course, like, Dumbledore's dead by this time in the book. Spoiler alert! But when Harry dies at the end, like, with Voldemort killing him, and he goes to that, like, white, you know, King's Cross train station, and Dumbledore's there, and Dumbledore's, like, explaining everything about how... Um, what do you think's happened with Harry's wand and Voldemort's? Like, it still is kind of confusing. It's like Harry's wand and his wand were twins, and Harry, when they, in the end of Goblet of Fire, when they dueled that time, like, Harry showed courage, so his wand, before they were equal and they were, like, twins, but then his wand beat out Voldemort, so anytime he was going to face Voldemort, he would be, like, automatically stronger because his wand, like, knows to treat him like an inferior. It was just kind of confusing. And I think the movie turned it into a much more like digestible um, plot and explained it in a way that 
like, you know, kind of answered the question in your head, but did it make you kind of like go into all these like nitty gritty what ifs of like the magic laws and like wand laws of the Harry Potter world. So long story short, again, (laughs) favorite movie. I like the seventh ones or seventh and eighth, however you want to number them. So yeah, that is kind of the intro. Um, I'm going to move on next to a little bit of, I guess, like one of the the biggest book versus movie differences. I know that's kind of like a big thing that people talk about every now and then. And I want to say like the first difference that really struck my eyes after I've listened to the audiobook so many times are the the horcruxes. So in the books, like whenever Harry and Voldemort and like Ron and Hermione, whenever the, the, they are destroying the horcruxes, like Voldemort doesn't know. And Harry actually like at other times in the fifth book and in the sixth book, like deals with the horcruxes directly. And I guess even in like the fourth with the snake, because the snake's around in the fourth book. Um, But he like literally deals one-on-one with these horcruxes and has no clue. So in the fifth book, when they're at the Order of the Phoenix um, headquarters, uh, 12 Grimmauld Place, and in the book, before they start school, all the kids are just helping Mrs. Weasley like de black or de dark magicify. <laughs> That's not a word. They help her clean out the house of all this like dark magic and all these like creatures that have lived there because creature, the house elf, hasn't been taking care of things. So they're like going through all these crazy dark magic objects. And they literally, I mean, go back and read it. It's pretty crazy. They hold the locket and they're like, try to open it and they can't and then they toss it and then in the sixth book harry's going to hide his um potions book from the half-blood prince and he's hiding it from snape ironically and he goes into the room of requirement where all the hidden things are and he like finds a headstone of some like old gargoyle i think it says or something or old warlock i don't know why the fuck i said gargoyle this isn't hunchback from notre dame but anyways of like an old warlock like a bus and he puts the the book like underneath it and then puts a wig on it in the tiara an old rusted tiara and that's the other horcrux so like harry doesn't hear these things like he does in the books in the books it's like oh like harry like feels it because he's also a horcrux so it's like they're talking to each other and that's his whole thing after he like looks into the pensieve in the movie and he sees uh, Hermione and Ron and he's like I think I've known this whole time I think you have too like I'm a horcrux blah 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 but like that didn't happen in the book either he just pieced out on them so he didn't explain it to them either but yeah in the books he didn't know and Voldemort didn't know when they destroyed them he didn't feel it like in the movies they portray it as some like big he gets super angry because he can tell that a part of his soul is gone but it's so removed from him in the books and they explain it well that like he doesn't know and so once um it's after like harry ron and hermione break out of gringotts that voldemort starts going to check his hiding places and realizing that like the ring is gone and the locket is gone and all this stuff has like been taken and he's like oh my god they're on to me i only have a couple like horcruxes left um so i think that's super interesting i don't know it's just like one of those little things where i was like wait a minute but now that i explain it out loud i'm not too I don't know. It's not that big of a deal. It makes sense. So yeah, that was kind of a pointless difference to make note of because I don't really mind it in the end. But um, I think another like major difference that had me a little bit like cautious of the movies and just kind of puts like a different 
feel or like vibe when I watch them is Harry's character. Um, Daniel Radcliffe, like I think he does a great job, but I think he's a much nicer Harry. Like I think he's a little bit more patient, much more level headed. Whereas Harry in the books is like a little bit more reckless and he's a little bit more like pompous and he definitely thinks like he knows what to do um which I can totally identify with that but he like has this drive of like no I like must go do this or this is exactly what needs to happen I mean he's a teenager he's like growing up and everything so he should be like that um but in the movies he seems like so calm like he seems like this model kid and and like the books he's like not good at school and he gets in, in like in trouble a lot um yeah he like punches Malfoy like I mean like a ton ton of stuff happens and like I just don't see that with the Daniel Radcliffe Harry because he just seems a little bit more mature or something and maybe it's some it's like part of movies but he always seems really hesitant to do things and to fight and I feel like Harry in the books was so much more like on the draw and he was just like a little bit better as far as like fighting goes but that's just my opinion I would love to hear everyone else's opinion because, I mean, this is, like, the topic that goes back and forth is, like, oh, the books versus the movies, blah, blah, blah. Um, But it's, like, really great to enjoy them both for what they have. Um, I think one of the main things about Harry Potter and why it's so great for our generation is it deals with really adult topics like death and grief. I mean everyone has talked about this with J.K. Rowling and her ability to, like, take these complex topics and, like, turn them into something more digestible or something that's for, like, children and it kind of sticks with you. And, like, the class system where they have the house elves and, like, treating them like people um, and, like, the centaurs and everything else, the, the giants, all that kind of conversations of, like, they should be treated, they should have one, stuff with the, the goblins and everything goblins yeah right yeah yeah so (laughs) it's just kind of um yeah I mean like it's really great because you can read it and get stuff from it but I think I like how it's deep and I like how it's a lot um it's not just oh Harry had a parent die it's like Harry had both of his parents murdered and he was an infant that was going to be murdered and a lot of people are killed in this in like terrible ways and it really is like a bit of a war story um even though you're not going into a lot of the battle scenes really until the last book you still kind of get an idea of this like sense of like war and like this dark time and I think that's super interesting um that we've like as millennials taken that in as children and then we've kind of grown up with it and now that we're seeing more sides of the world and the darkness that's in it and like terrorism and you know, like everyone um, has their own stuff they're going through. And at this point in their life, they might have had something bad happen to them. And so they're, they're a little bit more able to relate to it and to see like more benefits to the story and to get something different from it, I think. And like, there's just so many notes of grief and loss and death and Harry Potter. And that is such a great way to bring in those topics when you're young, um, but not make them seem so scary or so like, insurmountable um like the end of the harry potter books has a really happy ending even though like fred has died even though lupin and tonks have died and colin creevy and it's like you know you think all hope is lost it really ends very well for harry and it, it like surprisingly 
And so you're like, okay, so it's a happy ending. And you might, as like adults, like, oh, you shouldn't give happy ending to everyone. But it's really nice to kind of see all the ups and downs and then lead to something good. Theoretically, I haven't watched, um, watched, I haven't read Cursed Child, so I can't say anything to that plot. Um, I've heard terrible things about it, so I'm just going to like stay away from that topic. But yeah, I think that's, it's just really great that you can take, um, take like an ending like that and turn it into a way of hope and a way of like almost justification for that, that, that loss in those hard times where it's like Harry's like over overcoming it. Like now it's over. Now he can rest. It's like a completely different feeling for him. And it's like, he's battled all this. He's grown up and it's this weird, like neat bow on the ending of his childhood of like, now he's like an adult and he's gone through a ton of shit and he fought it and he won it and now he gets to live a little bit better of a life so it's a great thing to be said for that is like sometimes you have a lot of shit going on and you got to deal with it it may take a while to get through it but it's nice to know that there's like a nice shiny bow at the end of the the road for you in one way or another um Another thing that I want to bring up, it's kind of a topic that everyone started joking about when Stranger Things came out because they're like, where are the fucking parents in all of this? Like, how can these kids just go traipse about all the time and not be worrying their parents or be like in trouble for it or like their parents have no clue what's going on? And I kind of feel like that with Harry Potter because like Dumbledore says like, oh, I love Harry. Like Harry's great, but like he doesn't hang out with Harry all the time and Harry is just constantly going out and like butting his nose into stuff that he thinks like he needs to be responsible for as like an 11 year old a 12 year old 13 year old 14 year old and it's like he has this sense of duty because he's already been through like an attack like a dark magic attack or a Voldemort's attack on his family but it's like you don't need to worry about this like you you honestly don't have to so I think it's kind of weird that there's not more like monitoring and more parental encouragement for Harry to have like a normal childhood it's like the fact that he's investigating all this stuff and like the sorcerer's stone the fact that he's investigating like what's going on and super worried about it and listening to Voldemort in his head or like watching whatever Voldemort's watching it's like someone should be telling him or should be guiding him actually mentoring him and to like where his place is in this battle and where he needs to get involved and where he doesn't because I feel like in the third book especially a lot could have been done so like you have Peter Pettigrew on the fucking map like I mean tell someone about it it's ridiculous it's just like and like I mean I guess he tells Lupin but Lupin's not like a great father figure Lupin doesn't really take care of Harry and I'm really pissed because in the third book it takes Lupin a long time to tell Harry like hey I was one of your dad's best friends he like casually brings it up and it's like you could have told Harry this or you could have like freaking introduced yourself on the first day I just think it's so kind of strange how the adults interact with Harry and his friends because it's only really like Mr. And Mrs. Weasley that actually act like parents but at the same time they're like missing a ton of stuff too and they're just kind of letting them do it so I don't know I just it's a kid's book it's not supposed to be that realistic but I'm just kind of like really no one no one helped these kids out no one could like see what was happening or what they're investigating but I don't know maybe kids are just shitty like that and just know how to sneak around the whole time (laughs) um so yeah I think the next thing I was gonna bring up was a favorite character which I don't even know if I can give a favorite character. There's 
just so many and it kind of sucks to say I think my favorite character is actually Harry but Harry in the books for sure because he's just got a little bit more gumption to him and he like he's totally a kid I would have a crush on not just because he's famous but yes because he's famous (laughs) but also because he's like pretty good at some things but he's also not like a model student you know and uh, but he's got like a lot of heart and like gumption I guess you'd say um He's pretty like vivacious too so I think it's just really interesting uh he's just like super interesting character and I relate to him a lot with his like grief and loss um and him dealing with it I totally have been through some of the same thoughts he has uh so yeah I just I don't know it's so cheesy to say Harry's my favorite but he kind of is so yeah (laughs) um yeah, and then I just, I wanted to wrap up with a little bit of a touch on the Fantastic Beasts and where to find them um, movies because they are coming out with a second one. And as I've been listening to these Harry Potter podcasts, a lot of the conversation revolves around the casting announcements because the movie is coming out, or the second movie of the series is coming out next year in like November, I believe. And they just announced some new casting and everyone's kind of freaking out because they announced like a Nicholas Flamel, they announced um, like obviously Grindelwald who was in the first movie at the very end, Johnny Depp. Um, And then Dumbledore is going to be played by Jude Law, which is amazing. I love that. Uh, But yeah, they had like a couple Death Eater uh, family names in there on the casting. I think it was like Rossier and Traverse or Traverse, however you want to say it. Um, But I think everyone all the fans are a little bit uh, hopeful of what this second movie will be because I think this is honestly just a tease by the studio to like get us interested in it and I think we might see one like scene of Grindelwald and I think it might be like one scene and that's why they just like have the casting because it's like this is who it's going to be but you probably won't ever hear him talk and that's my opinion. I think it's going to be mainly about like Newt and the whole crew of people I guess. Um going out and dealing with fantastic beasts i think like you might see a couple like flashbacks with dumbledore maybe a couple flashbacks with like nicholas Fumel or something but i really don't think it's going to be as like known plot intensive as everyone is hoping it'll be like we all know kind of what happens in a sense of like grindelwald like gains followers gets big and then dumbledore takes him down and Nicholas Flamel makes the Sorcerer's Stone, but he also works with Dumbledore and Alchemy, so they made some big discoveries. That's probably going to come into play, but then at some point Nicholas Flamel dies. We know Grindelwald doesn't really take advantage of the obscurest situation because he doesn't ever, like, achieve his goal and he ends up in prison. And then la-di-da, years later, Voldemort comes and does something kind of similar to him. So, like, we know that backstory, and while we're, like, so hopeful it'll turn into a movie, I really don't think it'll be the focus of the Fantastic Beast series. I think it'll be something with Newt. I think it might be something more along the lines of, like, the animal treatment thing and, like, the whole thing Hagrid's theme, like, Hagrid's character and theme is all about, where it's, like, don't judge something by what, you know, you think or what people have said it is. Um, figure it out for yourself or, like, get to know the creature yourself, basically, where it's all about, like, judgment and stuff, but I could be wrong. Maybe it'll be, like, a lot of scenes with Grindelwald and his followers and, like, getting into that whole, like, the first big, um, like, battle between dark and light in the wizarding world, but that's just my kind of, uh, skeptic thought about the movie, so I'm not holding my breath. The first one was all right, 
I think it was good. Um, I think the animals looked a little fake, which was kind of like annoying, but that's just me. Um, yes, it's basically about Fantastic Beasts. So anyways, I, um, yeah, I've like heard a lot of great discussions from these podcasts and I think one of them was pretty awesome because it was talking about Sirius and I think this is the Alohomora one that I wasn't super excited about because everyone was super harsh on Sirius in that podcast and the conversation they were talking about him they were like he's a terrible person he just latched onto James then he latched onto Harry when he got out of prison and he died because of it and because he cares too much or something and they were all super negative about Sirius and I think that like we're not really putting him into perspective like he grew up in a family where he did not belong and he did not want to be there and he grew up kind of similar to Harry where he had like no feelings for his family like Harry has not any feelings of sympathy or like affection towards the Dursleys and that's kind of how serious was but it was even worse because he actually was part of their family like Harry at least felt different and like he had a reason to feel different whereas like he that's not his parents and like his parents were some other people that lived differently um but Sirius like was actually part of that family and didn't belong and that grew up with that escaped as soon as he could and I think James was more of like a brother to him and the brother he never had because he did have brothers but it wasn't he wanted someone to relate to he wanted someone he could you know have things in common with and so having James I think he's more than his like best friend I think it's like his brother because he goes and stays with James James kind of becomes like his Ron in a sense like someone who can show him another side of the wizarding world of like lightness and not slitherinness I guess in Sirius's case so then that happens they're pretty young when James and Lily die like in their 20s so they're you know in the same age range we are now as millennials where they're you know young and James and Lily had a kid which is pretty crazy at that young of an age but like yeah they're in the middle of war it's like really tense so he goes from living growing up in this terrible situation to finally having some years of relief just like Harry only to like pop out of school and be in this time of like war and fighting and battle and then um because of like a decision that he made and he and his friends made to make um Peter Pettigrew the secret keeper like everything's lost he totally underestimated Peter um his best friend and his other friend Lily or his his friend's wife like they're they're dead they're gone the baby is like okay but now doesn't have a family and he feels utterly responsible for it and I mean that's clear in the third book because he brings it up and says like I should have been in prison and that's why he didn't fight it I think that's why he just like let the trial go on and let himself go into prison because I think he was so upset like he thought yes I should be in prison for this like I know it really happened but it's all for the best that I serve my time because I personally would rather be an Azkaban, like serving and having, paying my dues for what I've done um, and not being able to protect Lily and James. Now, then Sirius is in prison for years, like what, 13 years or something crazy? Like, can anyone imagine that? Like all of these podcast people are talking about, oh, and then he comes out and he's so needy and clingy with Harry. And it's like this dude was in prison being getting the like emotions sucked out of him for 13 years. Like that changes a person. That's insane. Like, I don't know. I don't know how he came out functioning at all, honestly. So the whole fact that he like, 
you know, is the dog and, like, acts kind of weird in the third book and then is, like, super aggressive and, like, just wants to get Peter Pettigrew, like, wants to kill him. Like, that all makes a lot of sense to me, um, that grudge and that, that regret he has and that guilt and that wanting to, like, do what he can to reverse it and, like, finally has a purpose now where he's not just paying his time. Like, now he feels like he can avenge their death um, by finding Peter Pettigrew and killing him. And then, like, Harry ends up being there, and he doesn't even expect it. He probably thinks Harry hates him and thinks he's the worst thing in the world because he killed his parents, and that's his viewpoint as serious. So, oh, sorry. That was a, oh, <laughs> just going through puberty over here. Um, yeah, and so that's, like, a whole thing um, with Sirius and that regret. And so he's really surprised when Harry does want to, you know, be with him and does want to live with him. And... I think he sees, oh my gosh, what just happened? That's so weird. My iTunes just started playing Beyonce. Um, I'm not going to edit that out because that was like maybe a ghost. So if I die right now, I want to record it. But, <laughs> but yeah, so back to what I was saying, Sirius, like he latches onto Harry and I think there's a lot of like interesting complications to that relationship because he was like Harry himself. So I think he sees a lot of Harry um, he sees a lot of himself in Harry and the fact that he grew up in a rough situation where he didn't belong and he was brought into this new wizarding world and he's learning all the stuff about his parents. He has a lot of anger. He has a lot of region reasons to like, you know, want to avenge his parents' death. And I think Sirius like really likes that gumption in him. But I think the thing that stopped Harry from becoming more like James than like Lily was the fact that he grew up with the Dursleys and with Petunia because growing up with them gave him a different childhood than James had and James was brought up well cared for well like given enough attention and all that kind of stuff and that's why he was so like cocky and reckless and I think Harry would have just as well been that personality if he grew up with his parents but growing up with Petunia and them um and that hardship was a completely different experience for him so Sirius is able to relate to him in a way he wasn't able to relate to James, in my opinion. And so I think he does have a caretaker sense for him. But I think he also is trying to give him a good childhood. So he's not super restrictive. And I think that's just what comes with it when A, Sirius doesn't have any kids. So he doesn't naturally have that instinct of fatherhood, um, which is harder for men than it is for women because women like have a little bit more nurturing sense anyways. So first of all, he doesn't have any kids. He doesn't really know what that's like. He's just taking care of him. B, he's basically been raised. It's really hard to form those types of like parental attachments when you're like given a teenager to take care of as your like godchild. And then he, like, wants to root for him. Like, he wants him to to do what he thinks is best. But he also wants to protect him a little bit. And I see plenty of that in the books. And then everyone's like, oh, and all because of his fault. Then he dies. And it's all his own doing. And what a terrible ending for Sirius. And I think, like, he was probably reckless. And there's, like, they obviously talk about the mistakes of how Sirius treated Creature and how that led to the whole downfall of, you know, the ending of the fifth book where they're at the, the ministry and in the, um, was it mysteries, hall of mysteries or something. So basically like, yeah, it is like Sirius's fault. He didn't treat creature right. He was like locked up by Dumbledore and not able to leave, even though there are like plenty of disillusionment charms and whatever the hell he could have been using to leave the house. Um, but yeah, he was in prison alone for 13 years. Like, I just don't see how you come out of that 
functioning like a normal person again. And it's pretty shitty of Dumbledore to like not really help him out. But I guess Dumbledore can't help everyone. He was super busy trying to figure out everything that he wasn't able to give the attention that Harry and Sirius needed at that time. So they were both kind of neglected. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's just a really sad story. And I think Sirius is a pretty complicated character in the sense that he has so many drastic ups and downs and I think that's just really hard on a person and he really wanted to fight and he really had a spirit to protect and to um, get some vengeance and to uh, I guess make up for what he had done wrong uh, or what he thought was like his fault as far as Lily and James dying so all in all I really like Sirius I wouldn't call him my favorite character for sure, but I think he's super interesting, and I don't really think it's his fault that he wasn't, like, a protective parental figure for Harry, because I think no one really was. Molly a little bit, but at the same time, she could only do so much, and he just really kind of looked for trouble on his own at every corner, and was just from his birth, since Voldemort killed his parents, he had this, like, heart in him, once he found out, to to like basically make sure Voldemort was gone make sure he wasn't like gonna hurt him or anyone else anymore it's just instilled in him since then so yeah that's that and then I guess like uh another topic that is pretty interesting with it all is the whole like love triangle situation with Hermione and Ginny and Ron and Harry or whatever and I don't know I think the Harry Ginny stuff it like makes sense to me I think you kind of see it like I was saying before with um the books they're not necessarily like read from Harry's point of view but I think in some way like it is about him like he is the main focal point of the series and I think it's almost like the narration is like if someone was narrating his life like that's what he would be pointing out it's not like an adult narrating something completely different that's happening and that's why I think like I don't know little little things kind of led to something more so the stuff with Jenny like Harry noticed Jenny in the first book when she was with uh the family at the platform and getting on the train for the first time and she was super interested in Harry and like wanted to meet him and wanted to see him wanted to see his scar thought he was so interesting and that's, like, the first time Harry sees her, and she, like, becomes a part of his normal day-to-day in, like, the Chamber of Secrets, and that's a big thing, because she was, like, possessed by Voldemort, and then later on, she, like, relates to him in the fifth book, because he's all freaked out, because he, like, thinks he's possessed by Voldemort after Arthur Weasley gets attacked, and she's like, why did you never, like, talk to me? Like, you've been freaked out these past, like, this past week or whatever you're not talking to anyone and it's because you think you were possessed by him and I actually was possessed so why wouldn't you ask the one person you know who's been possessed by Voldemort like if the same thing happened to you why wouldn't you talk to me about it and he's so just like oh I didn't even think about that and she's like I can literally help you with this problem (laughs) and I think that's great because that's kind of like a guy thing to do and I mean for a lot of people you just get stuck in your head and but the fact that like these little instances with Jenny have been popping up since the beginning I think it makes a lot of sense for Harry because it all just kind of like the timing works up and he slowly stops caring about Cho because she's too much drama and all of a sudden like Jenny's there and, and they've been hanging out a lot over the summers of the burrow and then on, she's been more open and been more herself because she's dating other people and then all of a sudden he's like wait a minute that's Jenny like Ron's sister Jenny and it just becomes a whole thing so 
I think it's great. I think she's also really strong and he likes that. Um, I don't think he likes the prissy girls for a lot of reasons. It might just remind him of Aunt Petunia, which I don't blame him for. Uh, but yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. And then Ron and Hermione, I don't know if I see as much like the two of them together, but I do think that, uh, I think they're more belonging together than Hermione and Harry. I think Harry is just like utterly annoyed at Hermione's like insist insistence to know everything. And I think it frustrates him a bit more than it does Ron. Whereas Ron, it's like he uses it to his advantage. And I think that's kind of funny. But all in all, there's a lot to be said about Ron. Um, he's not extremely useful aside from the fact that he gives us like natural intuition of the wizarding world that Harry and Hermione like just don't have. Um, they are, they were not born up in the wizarding world. They're born up by, they were raised by muggles, born up. What, what have I been smoking today? Born up. That's so weird. But yeah, Ron like has this natural instinct when it comes to magic and it comes to dark magic. It's like he somehow is able to um, like, recognize and, like, feel it when something's off. So, the first, I think, like, major time you can recognize this, the most clear is with the taboo in the seventh book. Um, so they learn when they, after the wedding, when they disapparate and go to Tottenham Court or whatever, the place in London. <laughs> I'm so not British. I'm sorry. Whenever they go there, they say Voldemort's name in conversation, and that's what draws the Death Eaters there to attack them. And for, like, more than half the book, like, they don't know why that happened. They're just like, how did they track us there? And they're freaked the fuck out because of it. And then, like, when they're camping and everything's getting cranky and they want to talk about Voldemort, Ron insists that they used he who must not be named. And, he, like, Harry's, like, fucking pissed off. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going to respect his name by not saying it. This is, are you kidding me? And he's like, just don't. And, I mean, like, they should be really fucking thankful to Ron for encouraging them not to say it and telling them not to because that's what saved their butts. It's like they could have been saying it and I don't know if they ever would have figured it out or they just would have been caught a lot earlier. Um, and, I, yeah, it's just, it happens quite a bit with Ron and it's it's in small doses and it's not by means, by any means, like, his main character point or his main... Um, like feature as a character but I think the fact that he brings that natural um like intuition to magic and natural kind of like observance and able to tie it together a little bit more I think that's really something to be said about Ron and they absolutely needed that now could they have gotten that with like I don't know Luna or Jenny or Neville on their team probably but um Ron just ended up being it so hey there he goes uh yeah so that's quite a bit of rambling for now. Um, I hope you guys really like Harry Potter. I, I enjoy it tremendously. I really want to listen to it more. It just would be so crazy. I've just like, I don't know, maybe I've hit my limit, maybe like seven to 10 times listening through the books is not great, but it's kind of like, I feel like I know so much more now and it's a whole other, um, universe for me in that sense knowing all the details so it's really fun I encourage you to listen to the audiobooks because Jim Dale just does a great job of doing the voices and it's all British and so it makes me want to like speak with a British accent but I can't so it's really hard <sighs> struggles right so anyways um I for all you Potter nerds out there or Potter heads I don't know what people call call Potter fans muggles 
whatever we are. Um, I'm so glad you listened through to the end of this podcast. Um, this was the Millennials Bible, and Millennials, I mean, we grew up with Harry Potter. We are the ones who can claim it as, like, our generation, and that's awesome. I think it is, like, the story, the fiction, the whatever series of our generation for sure in so many ways and I think it's kind of cool that it's the same for the actors who were involved where like they I mean they were young as well and like they grew up with it too and they are millennials as well and like it's just really cool to see where everyone's been since then and see all the effects and the good stuff that's happened so I love it I hope you guys do too um, if not, then check out the next uh, Millennials Bible episode. I'm going to be talking about something a little bit more serious. It's <laughs> not serious, Black. I just realized that. Something a little bit more, um, I don't know, just a little bit of a downer, talking about uh, the whole Me Too movement and sexual assault and basically like what we can do and maybe kind of vent about how terrible it is, but also talk about what we can do for it and what we can do to change the way things are today. So on that lovely note, thank you so much for um, listening to this Potterhead go on and on about Harry Potter and definitely like text me or reach out if you have anything to say about it. I'd love to feature it or if you just want to chat about Harry Potter, I'm always down. Um, yeah, so this is Millennials Bible, episode three, you're Wizard Harry and thanks for listening. Thank you.